This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We have a fascinating show today, and we're going to dedicate this to uh, one topic and uh, all sorts of different facets of it, and that would be around AI, artificial intelligence, and more importantly, artificial intelligence and morality. AI and machine learning, they're permeating everything uh, as as far as technology goes uh, nowadays. It can influence elections. It's being built into autonomous weapon systems. There's also self-driving cars that are going to be powered by AI that are going to be making decisions for literally millions of cars on the road on where to go and what to do when uh, crisis situations uh, happen, accidents. So what's happening in the background? Who is the watch dog or who is watching over how these systems are being programmed what kind of rules are being put in place and i think you'll be surprised that there's not a heck of a lot heck of a lot of them we're going to be talking with a really interesting guest we've had her on before her name is sasha Lucioni. she is uh, one of the uh, foremost ai researchers here in canada and we will be delving into ai when it comes to autonomous vehicles, when it comes to weapon systems, politics, even healthcare. Uh, on top of that, the financial systems of the world. Imagine this scenario. You are driving your car down a road and all of a sudden you will have to make a decision whether to save certain people's lives in uh, an accident. So in this particular example, you're driving down the road and you get sideswiped by a car, and you either have to choose one of two choices here. One, you have to either, unfortunately, go down one part of the road, and in that action, you will end up killing three senior citizens. If you choose the other path, you will end up killing a small child. What would you choose, John? Thanks for putting me on the spot. Um, (laughs) Three senior citizens or the child, which, which do you save? Um, well, the way I would break that down would be, okay. So there's three senior citizens versus one child. Yes. So it comes down to saving the number of lives versus how old they are. Um, but you have pause because well, three senior citizens, maybe they're at the end of their life, whereas the child has their whole life ahead of them. So it's, it's, it's a, so what would you pick John? Let's go with the kid. You'd save the kid. No. Sorry. No. Oh, okay. You'd save the, the three senior citizens. Yeah. Save two lives at the cost of one or save three lives for the cost of one. Well, that scenario is part of the moral machine. This is a uh, MIT uh, study, a website that uh, basically asks the uh, the people going through it to judge a whole bunch of different scenarios on what they would do in a car or traffic situation. Why? Well, we are getting into an age where we are going to be having autonomous vehicles. And you know what? People have to program these autonomous vehicles and they will be put in these situations many many times millions of times uh, over the years and what will they choose 
Well, they're going to choose what people program them to choose. On the line, we've uh, got a great guest. We've had her on a, a few times on the program. Her name is Sasha Lucioni. She is a postdoctoral researcher working on a project that uses artificial intelligence to visualize the consequences of climate change. She is also the director of scientific projects in AI for Humanity, which is responsible for managing research projects that use machine learning for good applications such as environment, health, and education. Thanks for joining us, Sasha. Glad to be here. Would you save the senior citizens or the ba- or the, the young child? You actually missed an option. Um, maybe it's not systematically there on the moral machine, but often uh, killing yourself is the third option you get. And self-annihilation is often the one I pick when uh, I can't uh, choose. So in this case, I would hit uh, a roadblock and, and self-annihilate. This is an interesting uh, website. And again, just uh, Google uh, MIT and the, the moral machine. Is this the type of... Uh, scenarios that programmers now in AI are, are using to program autonomous vehicles and artificial intelligence? You know, it's really funny because this is not nothing new. I mean, um, it came up in, in ethics, in philosophy, uh, the trolley problem, where you have a, a, a essentially a trolley going down some tracks that bifurcate, and you can either choose one way or the other. And so this has been actually studied for a really, really long time. So this is not an, a new ethical problem. And um, and it actually, it was also addressed in science fiction, like Isaac Asimov and, and the three rules of robotics. And, and so people have been thinking about this a long time. I think that now with machine learning, um, it's certainly less of an explicit choice. So it's gonna, not going to be hard coded in, uh, in autonomous vehicles, but based on data, uh, for example, because they learn from human drivers, right? And so based on the data that the human drivers are, are feeding into the algorithm, it's going to learn these kind of biases, but it's not going to be like, a loop, a programmatic loop where they say, if uh, less than three senior citizens, citizens then, then choose the baby. It's going to be implicit learning. And that's why it's so tricky because the bias is in the data. And if the drivers themselves, the human drivers, don't know that they're biased, then they transmit that bias to the autonomous vehicle as well. That, uh, that concerns me. Uh, if they're taking that information from people out in the world, uh, let's just talk about race, for example. Um, what if there are more white drivers in uh, a certain country uh and you know if they had to make a choice they would save the white people over you know black people or or asian people does the car get that information (laughs) are they going to save the white people over other races not necessarily but for example most of these cars are tested in uh, silicon valley uh, and palo alto and all these places are majority majority white or asian so for example if you don't have enough african americans in your data set maybe it's not even gonna register that that this is a pedestrian because it didn't have enough data points i mean this happened systematically like I think this was a few years back now, but but Google Images uh, would recognize African Americans as uh, not as humans because their skin skin was too dark and facial recognition systems just because they didn't have enough data points because they were trained on on data sets of white people. So so essentially, if, if you're not controlling for representation in the bias in, in the data, you're going to have bias that propagates all the way through. And so essentially, we have to train these algorithms in in, in different places by different people in different situations, and, and that's really really important. Are there many of these types of, uh, like we're looking at the MIT moral machine, are there other types of these uh, uh, websites that go through these these situations? 
Not that I know of. This is really the biggest scale one. And then what's interesting is that they uh, translated into a bunch of languages. Um, they've been, it's been going on for several years. So they're starting to publish data about it and, uh, and essentially showing people how biased everyone is. It's not just a question of one person's racist and one person is sexist and one person is ageist, but, but everyone is something. And especially when you have to choose, it's in these situations where you have like, even if you, know, you love your neighbor who's elderly, but then if you have a life or death situation, maybe you'll sacrifice an elderly person. So it's really, it's really interesting to put people in, the, in these situations. Yeah, some of the scenarios are, are just crazy. Uh, you know, one of them was, you know, would, would you save three homeless people or one uh, not homeless person? Right. And yeah. then there was also, I think, uh, overweight people. And then there was teenagers. And so maybe people don't like teenagers because they think they're troublemakers. Who knows, right? I, I thought it was interesting, too, that some of the scenarios, they there's a lot other of other variables other than just physical appearance, like whether or not the pedestrian was jaywalking, for example. Um, you know, and I always, uh, when, I, when, I, when I took the test, I always opted for, well, first of all, the you know, the pedestrian is not doing anything wrong unless they are. Um, so if they are doing something wrong, then I would skew more to sacrificing them. Um, but at the end of the day, all of my results were based around me being the bad actor, basically. And so self-annihilation, like you said, was more and more common for me um, because I was the one driving and having a problem with my vehicle or, or whatever the, the scenario uh, stated um, versus a, a random pedestrian just trying to go to the grocery store. I, the the self-annihilation option is an interesting one. Sasha, you said that you would choose that uh, often. I don't know how many people would choose that. You know, save yourself or um, unfortunately kill three pedestrians. Like, it, it, that's that's a hard choice. Like, I think we have this built-in self-preservation at, at that moment in time. That's true, but uh, especially if it's in cases of, of where you care about both uh, populations. I mean, once again, this is a hypothetical situation, so it's hard to say. But uh, but yeah, and also I think, for example, in a term, if you're really a self-driving car and if you personify one, who are your passengers? Do you know that you have a baby in your car? And so, you know, if, if you choose that option, do you know what you're sacrificing as well? So that's an interesting kind of like further uh, reflection because you can really be like okay i have one baby or an elderly person or whatever right and you make that comparison let's talk but mike sorry but mike I, I was going to say I, the other question though is it doesn't necessarily even have to be a person too like uh people regularly you know steer around animals on the roadway for example and that is definitely some of the scenarios where you have to make a choice and but also i think it's also re reactive too uh at least for me if i saw something whether it's a blob of garbage or a cat or you know a bunch of senior citizens i would want to get around it or steer away from it and um and that doesn't necessarily always mean that i'm going to come out ahead in that scenario <laughs> Well, there was even, I mean, unfortunately, there has been right, um, some several uh, autonomous car, autonomous driving accidents. And in one case, there was a lady who was crossing with a bike. Uh, she was trying to cross the street and then she got hit. And I think they, they did an in-depth study and essentially the car couldn't figure out what it was. And so got super confused just because, you know, it was a bicycle, but it wasn't a person on a bicycle. It was a person beside a bicycle on the like, I think there was like some reflection issues. And I, I mean, it's pretty interesting because there's also these kind of like hybrid situations or these fuzzy situations. 
that are really, really tough even for a person to, to, to make a judgment call on. And then we're expecting the cars to make that decision for us. There's obviously a lot to think about here. Autonomous vehicles are coming. Robot taxis are coming in the next five years. Teslas, Elon Musk is pushing hard to bring full self-driving autonomous Tesla vehicles out on the road. It's already built into the, the cars themselves. All they have to do is have the right programming language and turn the switch on, and these cars will be driving by themselves. So we really have to be concerned about uh, some of the moral aspects of the artificial intelligence uh, guiding them. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk with Sasha, but this time about how AI is being built into autonomous weapon systems to missiles. Who's programming that and what kind of implications are there? Back after this. You are back with the App Show. We're talking uh, with Sasha Lucioni. She is a uh, an expert in artificial intelligence research. You've written a really interesting article, and I you know really encourage listeners to check this out. We'll put this up on our website as well, a link to it. It's called On the Morality of Artificial Intelligence. Uh, let's talk about artificial intelligence and morality. Uh, I mean, there's so many different areas from healthcare. Uh, you know, we talked about autonomous uh, driving. What about... Um, autonomous weaponry like what are we looking at there like how do you even program in morality when it comes to drones that have to decide whether to kill someone or not well essentially i think the way that people are doing it now are thresholds of confidence um so if you're above 90 i don't know 5 99 percent sure that this person is the person you're looking for uh also there's often human in the loop um aspects of it so I think that we don't have an answer for this. And, and, and sadly, there are people who are working in autonomous weapons. Um, I don't think, I mean, probably I'm wrong, but um, I don't think we're at the time where we have like a fully autonomous robot that will be able to go out and, and for example, be like a soldier. So, so maybe we're like about 75% there, I think, with, term, with like Boston Robotics and things like that. They have really good humanoid robots. But in terms of drones, um, yeah, I think it, it's definitely being deployed now and we don't have a treaty we don't have uh, a control over this like uh, several ai researchers have called for legislation just just purely legislation on autonomous weapons and and, and what degree of autonomy can you program in them can they make the choices themselves etc cetera, etc cetera. we definitely don't have this framework uh, existing yet it, it doesn't it just doesn't exist but you got to know that some country somewhere is working on artificial intelligence in these killer drones and and unfortunately probably in you know robotics you know creating robot soldiers or or tanks um but you know you talked about that threshold uh you know the the 95 to 99 percent you know this is the person that it needs to take out uh but what about collateral damage is it smart enough to know that if it takes this person out it might kill five other people in its action Definitely not. And I think we talked about it in the, in the article, like, for example, if the target is in a school and the and the weapon has a 99% confidence threshold that that person is is the person it's looking for, but it doesn't take into account the context, like it's a wedding or, or for example, a, a school with children, that, that's something that's really hard to program because it's not really part of the the decision process itself. Like, for example, if you're doing facial recognition, you're not necessarily looking at the context because that's not part of the task. So essentially, we have to make systems that are more complex that will be able to take into account, for example, the the, the, the environment uh, and the location and the other people around and see if the other people around are children. But 
once again, and then we come back to the problem. What if you have, you know, FBI's or, or whatever, Interpol's top most wanted criminal and five children? And what's the trade-off? And then now we're back to the moral machine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little freaked out, Sasha. Like, because I know that the, you know, a lot of the superpowers are, are working on, on this type of technology. And it just freaks me out that we're, we're going to be letting machines make these decisions based on, I guess, humans programming them. And, and hopefully, well, I don't know, hopefully th- them not making crazy, stupid decisions. But what I find interesting about this is that it uncovers that for centuries we've been trusting other humans to make these decisions, right? Like we, we take into account, like, I mean, we drive down the road and we know that there's hundreds of cars around us and we suppose that all the cars have, have uh, people who are rational and we're not going to crash into our car randomly on the highway, right? Because why would they? And so, and so we go about our business. And for example, when, it, when the, the military does a kind of strike and then they wipe out a, a criminal or whoever, we, we assume that they're doing the right thing because they caught whatever, bin Laden or whoever, right? But we have all these assumptions that the people making these decisions are, 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 are taking into account all these other variables. But we don't know that. We don't know what, what their thresholds of confidence are and, you know, what environment they are taking into account and whether or not, for example, each country have, has their own um, contextual variables. So I find that AI is a really interesting way to uncover the way that people make decisions and, and essentially give us more insight uh, on, on what our values are. We're going to have to take another break. We're going to continue to talk with Sasha. This time, we're going to be chatting about how AI can be used in influencing elections. We've seen it with the U.S. election back in 2016. We saw it with Brexit. What other political events and elections are being influenced by this? And what are politicians, what are we doing about it? You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll have some answers back after this. You are back with The App Show We're talking about AI and morality, AI meaning artificial intelligence. It's in everything now. We've been talking about autonomous vehicles, weapon systems. There are so many more aspects that we need to explore. Let's uh, veer over to democracy and and politics now. And I hate reading your article because you're freaking me out (laughs) even more. Um, And how artificial intelligence can really increase the ability to monitor and target individuals and and influence them uh, via things like artificial intelligence-driven advertising or automated online trolls or, or you know, other types of uh, psychological manipulations, uh, you know, through the internet and, and social media. Uh, is, I mean, we saw it with the 2016 U.S. election. We, we saw uh, it with Brexit. Is this going to be... A, a huge problem in the future? I think it already is. We're just not aware of it. I think that the amount of data being gathered uh, on social media, on, you know, most of our web presence, I think that, I mean, most people probably know about it, but it's kind of the price to pay, right? It's the price to pay to, to use Facebook. It's the price to pay to use Google. But I think that more and more when these scandals come out, and, and, and obviously, like, we're hearing about these things with a, with a bit of a lag, like, Cambridge Analytica came, but the data was from several years before that. So we're, we're always, we always seem to be like one step behind this. And the issue is that like, it's really hard to legislate multinational companies. It's really hard to legislate digital companies because it's not like material things. It's really hard to legislate AI algorithms and data because it's also a fine line, right? Are you allowed to 
uh, use someone's image to, to train an algorithm or, or is that copyright infringement? So it's, it's I think that until we finally get ahead of it and start doing proactive legislation and proactive uh, reactions and not reactive ones, I think that's when we're going to start getting ahead of these things. But until that happens, we're always going to be like, oh, we didn't know that was a problem. Turns out it's a problem. Okay, let's patch that up. <laughs> next problem and next problem. But we're so far behind this. You know, when I, I look at how computers and AI can be used to generate uh, false images and, and videos, you know, things like the deep fakes, uh, you know, we're seeing tons of these now, you know, basically videos of actors or politicians saying things that they, they never said. And then having the tools, you know, people having the tools to, to use this to, to target people that would be influenced by, by this. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And even, for example, if we want a more, a more uh, relevant example from right now, uh, the WHO is having huge issues with fake news around the pandemic. And, and, and the more they try to, to get ahead of these like rumors and gossip and, you know, you can hold your breath for 10 seconds to find out if you have COVID things. And uh, they're still having trouble basically finding them. They can be in different languages, different platforms, different ways of disseminating. And then when you do find it, how do you debunk it? And, and, and for example, I, I participated in some conferences uh, that the WHO, like digital conferences that they organized, and they were like, how, how do we deal with this? We don't have the tools to deal with this. It's like they're calling it like a second pandemic of fake news. And they're, they're trying to fight both, right? So it's, it's really tough. The the other interesting aspect about that too is the the challenge of having lawmakers involved in this conversation. With it's really a, a complex thing, and unfortunately, we have lots of examples of lawmakers barely know how to use their iPhones, let alone their computers. So, having them to really truly understand some of the nuances of these problems, uh, other than the, the deep fake end result that Mike mentioned uh, is, is also a big challenge too. Like you said, you can't regulate these companies, but um, they don't even understand what they're regulating is the problem. No, uh, like uh, when uh, Mark Zuckerberg went in front of Congress, like it was obviously just not the same level of understanding how things work, which is normal. It's not their job to do. But I mean, I think that there's a, there's a huge part of communication that should be done. Like, I mean, communicating a language that's understandable. That's not too technical, right? And, and and that's really tough because it takes an expert to understand what they're doing, but that it shouldn't. It should be more straightforward. These algorithms should be shared. Like for example, we don't know how Google uh, page ranks, ranks pages that we search for. That's, that's a proprietary algorithm. And so, you know, the way that we find information, the way that information is presented to us is, is already, we don't know how it works. And that's an issue because people should know, right? Why pages first and it's their secret sauce on the other hand, but it should, be there should be some oversight somewhere which doesn't exist yet i'm i'm concerned sasha because i think as humans we're too stupid to fix this i look at the 2016 election and you know it's it's a fact that um you know ai was used to influence you know uh, the political campaign but if you're the winner of that political campaign are you going to do anything about it that's terrible no (laughs) no you're not i wouldn't (laughs) <laughs> like if I was a, uh, won. a I won yeah, yeah I think it, it the system works perfectly so then you're always fighting 50% of the other population who who you know believes it was unfairly influenced that AI was bad in this situation and so you're always going to have half the population on the right side of it and the other half on the wrong side of it 
Yeah, I agree. And I think the way of getting ahead is is essentially like, I mean, this is one of the reasons why we wrote this paper. It's not a technical paper. It's not supposed to be like super in-depth about why, how ethics is programmed into AI. It's supposed to be more like, these are the issues. These are the, the problems that we should be thinking of as, as a society, as researchers, as members of the public, as, as, as policymakers. So essentially we wrote this paper saying like, like, just let's think about them and maybe we won't find an answer, but at least we'll ask the right question. We're going to have to take another break. When we come back, we're going to continue uh, talking about artificial intelligence and how it's in healthcare as well and some of the things that we need to be aware of and to look out for. We'll also be uh, chatting about uh, who's doing the program programming and who's overseeing all of it. Back after this on The App Show. Stay tuned. You are back with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com, to enter our weekly contests and also to check out our video and audio podcasts. We've got lots of other great videos up there, everything from first looks to how-tos. You name it, we've got it. Also, don't forget to go to our YouTube pages, Get Connected Media on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can keep making great videos for you. We've been talking all about AI today on The App Show, exploring the whole world as it relates to everything that's happening in technology. Let's talk about AI in some other areas. Uh, What about in healthcare? What kind of uh, moral issues are we dealing with there? Oh, there's some really interesting ones. So there's a researcher who works in um, in healthcare, uh, Marzia Gassemi, here in Toronto, in Canada, and she uh, um, talks a lot about, uh, for example, bias in medical data. So, for example, if you have patient medical records, you want them to be de-biased because you don't want the algorithm, for example, discriminating um, based on race or gender or age or whatnot, right? So these are criteria that you typically want to take out. But then again, there are criteria that are really important to make decisions because, for example, age can be a factor in, in diabetes or cholesterol and, and race. There are certain uh, racial, um, there's, there's certain certain races that have more, uh, I don't know, cardiovascular diseases and things like that. And same with gender. You want to make sure that pregnancy is taken into account, but for that you need gender. And so essentially there, there, there's intrinsically biased characteristics um, that can't be de-biased for medical data. And so it's like, how do you find the fine line between not discriminating, but also making the right decisions? And so there's there's people who are trying to now make like, for example, secondary features. So it's not exactly gender, uh, but it's it's a conglomerate of different features that are a bit like on a higher level. So you can make the decision on, you know, the meta level and not the feature level. So that's like, uh, that's that's one approach, but essentially we haven't solved this question yet. We don't know what's the best way of using medical data so that we uh, we we make sure that it's not being used for discrimination. Uh, and, and finally, let's just quickly talk about education and, and how artificial intelligence is uh, creeping creeping in there and, and what we should be aware of, concerned about looking for. Well, it's uh, it's actually, yeah, that's also a tricky, a tricky topic because um, like For example, if you want to make an algorithm that helps your child learn or even adult learn, uh, in order to do that, you have to learn from the mistakes of the person you're analyzing, right? So to figure out that they're missing certain knowledge or missing, uh, I don't know, uh, missing some 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 like um, skills so they can't do fractions or whatever. They can't multiply fractions. Right. But um, since you've been trained on a certain amount of data, it's it's easy once again to pick up on features like girls are bad at math. Or you know, or, or certain things like that that are, are are not explicitly there, but can be implicitly picked up on. And so you want to make sure that the algorithm is not discriminating based on on any uh, gender or any, for example, geographical location. So, for example, just because uh, of um, 
you know, in, in, a, in a less, in a neighborhood where kids have more trouble or, or like have less access to technology, for example, and you're giving them a new tool that uses AI, so which is a type of technology, and they'll have trouble using it just because they haven't used computers much. And then the, the, the computer, the algorithm will say they're having trouble, but the difficulty isn't with the, uh, with the skill as such. It's not the fractions, it's the computer itself. So that's not going to be programmed into it because the computer doesn't know that it's an issue, right? And so there's all these like layers of, of complexity when you're dealing with uh, children and school systems and, and, and geographical locations, essentially. But how are we guiding the people that are, are doing this, that are programming these computers and, and systems and creating the machine learning? Give me some good news here. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's being, it, it's definitely being talked about. So it's becoming now, especially machine learning, it's becoming a topic of research in itself. But sadly, there's no legislation and there's not, there's not even some like standard metric like for example you can't say this bi this algorithm is 30 percent biased like we don't have things like that and we're not testing for them and especially in 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 industrial applied settings when you don't have access to data for example if i work in a company and they ask me to to do a an algorithm for for uh, CV fil filtering, for example, for resume filtering, and they want to make sure that they get the best CVs. And I write an algorithm for them, and it, it gets the best candidates. And so they're like, oh, this is a great algorithm, and we deploy it. And then there's no one to check what what features it's using. Is it using the gender of a candidate in order to do, in order to make the decision? Is it using the, the the postal code, for example? Is it is it discriminating based on the fact that you know people from affluent postal codes are, are better candidates? So. There's absolutely no framework in place to do this kind of analysis, and I think that it's high time that we did have one. We're talking with Sasha Lucioni, a well-known AI researcher. When we come back from the break, if you are an AI researcher, where should you work? You'd be surprised. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike Agarbaugh here with John Beeler. We've been talking with Sasha Lucioni. She is a, an AI researcher. Sasha, are AI researchers making the big bucks? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, there's also a section about uh, about like applications, right, of, of, uh, of AI and whether it's okay, it's okay to work in a, for the army uh, or for Wall Street and things like that. I, I spent uh, some time working for Morgan Stanley and uh, that's super uh, looked down upon in the AI community because like Wall Street, it's, it's money, it's kind of, but then again, all these people work for Google and Facebook and whatnot. And for me, that's such, such hypocrisy because it's like, yeah, Wall Street is making money but you're selling people's privacy. <laughs> Why is one better than the other? Well, that no, that is interesting because Google and Facebook, that's they're in it for billions of dollars in, in advertising revenue. And to have better advertising, like you said, they're taking all that yeah. information, your private information, and using machine learning to, to target you better so that it knows that I love Cinnabons and it knows what time to send me that, that ad. Right. And then they're, they're recruiting the best and brightest of, of AI researchers. Like they have the best labs in the world, Google, Facebook and Amazon and, and Apple, and, and they're paying them huge amounts of money. And essentially it's like a cool place to work because, you know, they're, they're hip and they're whatever. And then in the end, uh, essentially they let people do what they want. Uh, AI researchers can work on whatever they want. And then the, the Google takes all that and then takes the best parts and then adds them to their algorithms. And then that's how they... That's the, that's the carrot that they're like, oh, you can do anything you want with your time, but everything you do belongs to us. And then they integrate it. So how, how's that better than Wall Street using artificial intelligence? It's a question of uh, culture. So the AI culture is based upon and because, you know, people that they admire, like, I don't know, for example, Yann LeCun, who's one of the godfathers of AI, works for Facebook and he's a cool dude. So Facebook must be a cool place to work. Oh, and, okay. you know, like, 
So there's a lot of these, and Andrew Eng, who's like a, an AI guru, work, used to work for like Uber, so Uber must be a cool place. It's like, it's like high school, I don't know. <laughs> it's essentially that. Sorry? It's a popularity contest. It's a popularity contest, yeah. And it's, and it's really like they have this whole, and then for example, at AI conferences, the, there's, they, have, they have like sponsorship, uh, sponsors like uh, booths and stuff like that. And then Google's there with their like Android plushies and t-shirts and whatnot. And, and then giving everyone like free iPhones or whatever, or Android phones, right? And everyone's <laughs> like, oh yeah, this sounds like a cool place to do. And then you work at Google and they have, you know, around the clock catering, they do your laundry, they, they walk your dog, like it's super cool. And, and of course, people want to work there. And meanwhile, at the Morgan Stanley booth, people are throwing eggs at those, those, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those guys. The first time I went to an AI conference, I was working for Morgan Stanley. No one came to see us. Yeah, it was just essentially like we were not the cool kids. Like it was obvious that, that, that Wall Street were not the cool kids. You should have been giving out bags of money. We can't, we weren't even paying as much as Google and Facebook. Like these people are paying crazy amounts of money. Like I know a guy who's, um, he's not even a, like, not even, he's like an engineer, like an AI engineer in the Valley. And he gets like 4 million a year. Woof. 4 yeah. million. Yeah. Yeah. What he does is optimizes, uh, AI algorithms. So they run faster essentially. So he's not even like inventing them. He's just like making them run faster and yeah, easy, 4 million easy. And he like, you know, he can retire in five years. Tops. That sounds like a lot of money, uh, but obviously whatever he's doing is helping them generate billions of dollars. Oh, of course. Of course, of course. Like instead of uh, 24 hours, an, an algorithm can run in four hours. So, you know, that's six times. And then you multiply that however many times you're running it, et cetera, et cetera. So, 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 yeah, and so, and so people who are actually like making the new algorithms are getting even more than that. So why did you stop working for like a finance company? I felt that it was hypocritical because uh, I guess I'm a hippie at heart and then I always wanted to, you know, plant trees and hug them. And so I thought it was hypocritical of me to work in a place that had cash at, at its main core. And so essentially when I quit my job and I became a postdoc, I had to cut my salary in like a third, by, by, by two thirds rather. And, uh, but I, I felt it was more coherent with my, with my ethics. Morality. Is, is that is that part of the moral machine at uh, MIT? <laughs> no, but it was part of the reason why I wrote that paper because essentially I, I realized that no one teaches this stuff. And then like I did a PhD in AI and then no one at any given point did they talk about, you know, where, what your morals are and how your, how your work is being used and then how the data is being generated and all that stuff. It never talks about it because it's like philosophy. Why would you teach philosophy to computer science people, right? Use your powers for good. Do you yeah, know, do you know exactly. what's exactly that never comes up? You know what's really sad? Some really crappy thing is going to happen in the next 10 years around artificial intelligence and then everyone's going to wake up like, "Oh, why why weren't we looking at this 10 years ago?" Yeah, Should- well, I mean, yeah, I think that's what I was saying. We're always a couple of steps behind and then it's going to take a few more, you know, uh, rigged elections or or data scandals or or something and then Yeah. Next next president will be Screech from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just going to be an AI algorithm that just like generates its own uh, images and video and then it's not an actual person. It'll just be a chatbot from your uh, cell phone provider. Oh, great. Exactly. I really want to thank Sasha Lucioni for joining us on today's show. She is a postdoctoral researcher working on a project that uses artificial intelligence to visualize the consequences of climate change. She's also the director of scientific projects and AI for humanity. Hit our website. Uh, we'll have the full podcast up there if you want to hear even more of uh, this interview. Don't forget to also visit the website to enter into our contest by subscribing to our newsletter, giving away a uh, great Belkin wireless charger for your smartphone. I want to thank everyone that helps put the app show together. We'll see you again next time.
You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.